Good morning. When I think of Ann Smith, I think of gifts and I think of relationship. Uh, as we've entered the season of gift giving and we think about the Bible tells us that God gives each of us gifts. And the first gift he gave us was life in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the first Christmas gift. And I was given a gift in being able to hear Ann Smith speak when I was a junior high school girl in Virginia. She came to our church. At that time, they were missionaries in Japan. Nathan and Ann um, served in Japan as missionaries for 26 years. And as you just heard, uh, they actually... They came back to the United States after serving in Japan and Korea, and even after that, for the next more than 30 years, and Anne has been continuing to speak around the United States, and then when I was still in Japan, she was invited back by the church. The whole nation wanted her to come back over and over again. They would say, Anne and Nathan, please come back, please come back, and they would come and speak again and again. And... Nathan actually began his life journey here in Louisiana in Bastrop, and he and Anne served the Lord for those many years together. And Anne is continuing to use her speaking gifts. We called her the other day and asked her um, how she's doing, and she said, I am so busy. I am going from one speaking engagement to another, and I just have to pull back. And Here she is, 92 years old, still being asked to speak. And it shows you how she has a message for everyone. And God did give her um, a gift of communicating the gospel of Jesus' love. And it speaks to every heart. And I know that you'll hear a voice from God for you today in her message. Um, it's, It's amazing to me to think that As a girl way back in junior high school, I heard a message that later when she called our house here in Louisiana in 1988, she said, there's a job in Japan and you should apply. And I thought, okay, I'll go there for a year or two. And then just because of that invitation and that challenge, it changed my life and our lives together as a church. We have been blessed through the ministry and mission of Anne and Nathan for so many years, and and Anne continues on with that. And so it's just amazing to me how God uses the gift of relationships with people, with friends, with the family of God, with one person who can touch our life by a word, an invitation, a challenge that God gave to them, and the gift goes on. So let's enjoy the gifts that God gave Anne today, and the reason he gave them to her was to give new life to each one of us and to help us communicate that gift of love to others too. Don't you just love it when you read a phrase or a sentence or a thought runs through your head? But I love it when something comes into my mind that stimulates it and then gets me started on a journey and I process it. Sometimes I process it for a few days. Sometimes it's weeks and months and even years. And I came across something just recently that was very interesting to me. I was reading about a hospice nurse whose calling was to journey with people in the dying process. 
And that's an experience we only get to have once. We don't get to practice. We just die once. And she, in her calling, she was a devout Christian. And in her calling, she was working with people in the dying process from all kinds of faiths and no faith at all. I can't imagine the challenge of walking with people of such diversity through the dying process. But she made a statement that I absolutely love. And it's this, God seems to be teaching me to widen my heart while keeping my eyes focused on him. I got excited because actually that's what God's been doing with me all of my life. He's been trying to teach me how to widen my heart while keeping my eyes focused on him. So I'm today going to just share with you a few of the learning experiences, some of the key learning experiences that have been a part of my long faith journey. And I'm going to start by telling you that when I turned 70, I got so excited. I, I thought probably nobody in the whole world had ever had such a wonderful experience as turning 70. For me, it was just, just a special, special time. So I took the whole month of January and I processed and I celebrated. And the way I celebrated, I took three by five cards, <clears throat> a whole stack of them, and I reflected on what 70 years of living had taught me. Not what I'm supposed to believe. But what has 70 years of living taught me? And the very first card I wrote down, I put at the top of that card, God is committed to Ann Smith. Wow. That was, I spent hours and days on that. I grew up on sermons about how committed I needed to be to God, but I couldn't recall a single sermon I'd ever heard on how committed God is to my, to my journey. I was overwhelmed. I, I was just, I was in awe when I re started reflecting on how God has been committed to Ann Smith's journey. And a part of that commitment to my journey was no matter where I was in the journey, the way I even started the journey. If I'm honest with you, I have to tell you my journey really started out of fear. It started out of fear. And my view of God was so limited and so small. In fact, I'll just be honest enough to tell you that I thought when I became a Christian there were two main jobs of the follower of Jesus. Number one, to defend God. And of course, that meant also defending the truth. But to defend God, and the second thing was to set everybody else straight. <laughs> that was my view. That's the way I started this faith journey. But God was there with me in that time. He was committed to my journey. And I love the fact that he saw something beyond what was. He saw some potential there. And so he's journeyed with me all these years. He was there when I did that. He was there with me when I went through a period of time when I was very angry with God. I wouldn't admit it. Because a follower of Jesus would never admit they're angry with God. But when I was 16, my father died. He, he drowned. My grandfather was, my grandparents had lived with us for years. My grandfather was still living, <clears throat> excuse me, and my mother, of course, 
So there were, my mother and my grandfather and I were the three left. My grandfather had never been to school a day in his life. My grandmother had a fourth grade education. And so I was the one elected to earn a living for the family. So I quit high school and went to work in the steel mill. The essence of this experience for me was that I was very angry with God for taking my dad. I don't know what the church said to me at that time. I know what I heard. People offered a lot of sympathy, but no one journeyed with me in that process of dealing with the loss of my dad. And so I was pretty angry with God because people would say, well, just accept this as the will of God. Outwardly, I accepted it because I was conforming to what I thought a Christian ought to be. But I was pretty angry inside. God was there, committed to my journey during that period of anger. He journeyed with me at that time. He's been in the task of widening my heart and widening my view of what he's really like. And I'm still learning. I'm still in awe of this God. And then, you know, he plopped me down. Excuse me. God plopped me down in Japan. That's not a good way of saying it, is it? He called me to Japan. And there I encountered... <laughs> there I encountered... I encountered another time when I had to expand my view of God because of the person I met the first week I was in Japan who gave to me a love for Japan and an understanding of Japan that I never could have had any other way and I didn't know a whole lot about this man that I met the first week we were there who spoke not a word of English and we spoke not a word of Japanese but he somehow embraced us these two foreigners I later learned a great deal about him, but this man would come every day and open the Genkan door and say, Smith Sensei Ikimasho. Ikimasho was the first word I learned in Japanese. It means let's go. So he'd open the door and say, Smith Sensei Ikimasho. I didn't know enough Japanese to ask him where we were going. He didn't know enough English to tell me. I just put on my shoes and went. I went to cremations, I went to Buddhist worship services, I went to Shinto weddings, I, I went to political meetings, I went everywhere with this man. And we would draw pictures and act out things and use the dictionary, anything to communicate. I learned over, the peri over a period of time that this man was, a, uh, while he was in his mid-60s, he had been purged because of his involvement in World War II, and we went, first went to Japan 66 years ago. So 66 years ago, I was living in Japan. Anyway, this man, uh, in his mid-60s, uh, devout Buddhist, um, had been purged because of the war. He was not allowed to hold office, was not allowed to teach anymore. He was also a Japanese history teacher, and he had all of this knowledge that we needed. Uh, and probably one other thing I should tell you, he also operated a house of prostitution because prostitution was legal at that time. So, not exactly the person you expect a missionary to hang around with. But nevertheless, this man had all of this incredible knowledge and all of this incredible love for a country that was going to be our home. And he offered it so freely. And I received it. 
know if I had known all of that that first week when I met that man if I'd been willing to receive it. But God expanded my view of him. He's big enough. He's wonderful enough. He can use anybody in the world to accomplish his purposes. That was eye-opening for me. That I serve a God who's that big, that wonderful. I can also tell you that this man in the process, I'd love to tell you he found the Lord and served him for many years and won many people to Christ. What I can tell you is he got cancer, but he was already in this process of coming. We made sure he had a Bible. We were, I was able to share, as I learned more Japanese, I was able to share with him our faith. But this man made it possible for us to get land for a church building. He literally went out into the community and rounded up all the children. One day he looked out, here are all these children in the yard. And he, he said, teach them. God is so big and so wonderful. I'm still discovering something, something of how incredibly wonderful this God we serve really is and how big he is. Well, anyway, he's been committed to my journey throughout all of this. The second card I did when I, was, when I turned 70 was that uh, as I reflected on 70 years of living, I discovered that life is really like being on a trapeze. It's a constant letting go, taking hold, letting go, taking hold. I, I, all of life is like that. It's a constant letting go, taking hold. And in between the letting go and the taking hold, there's that... <gasps> it's scary. It's scary. But oh my, I really believe as followers of Jesus, we're all called to be trapeze artists. And if you are not willing to be a trapeze artist, you're going to miss so much of the journey. Because you're in process. I'm in process. I am so excited over being in process. I am so excited of what I'm learning, what I've learned this week since I've been here. I, I can't wait to get home and process all of that that has come into my life just in the time that I've been here. I'll go on record and, and tell you that I, I, I may be getting out on a limb, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to tell you where I am. I am so excited over being incomplete. I mean that from the very depths of my heart. I am so excited. There's still so much yet to learn. There's still so much yet to discover. There is so much about this realm of the spirit, this journey that is out there. There's so much out there yet that I haven't, I've barely scratched the surface. So I'm excited that we're being incomplete. Now that may require a little explanation to a church, group of Church of God folks. Uh, do you not believe in holiness? Maybe your question. I have never believed in holiness as much as I do right now at this stage of my life. But I believe holiness is not about being complete, it's about being full. And there's a big difference between the two. When I, when I come across something that helps me express something that I've been experiencing. And 
that to me is like touching a live wire. It really is. It's, it's exciting when I come across something that helps me explain, verbalize, be able to put into words something that I've been experiencing. And this is one of them. The full but not complete. In August, it'll be 14 years since Nathan died. <clears throat> and um, shortly after Nathan died, I had a flashback. I'd never had it in all the years I was married to him. 53 and a half years we were married. I'd never had this flashback. But we were sitting in his little gray Studebaker on the campus of Anderson College. And we were talking about love and marriage. And I remember Nathan saying, it was just like I could hear his voice. Nathan said, honey, you say you love me with all your heart, and I believe it, and you believe it, and I say the same thing. But what we both need to realize is however long God gives us, whether it's five years, ten years, fifty years, however long he gives us, we'll look back at this time and know we didn't know a whole lot about love. That was so wise. But I was young and in love and it went in this ear and right out the other one. And I never remembered it until after he died and I heard that. And I thought about that. When I was sitting there in that little gray Studebaker, I was full of love. All the love that I had the capacity to feel. I was full. But our love was not complete. 50 years down the road to compare that with this. Oh my, what a difference. The depth, the understanding, the, the, the oneness, the intimate, the, everything about this. This was so different to this. And that gave me a way to verbalize what I had been experiencing for years about the faith journey. It's not about being complete, it's about being full. I'm in process. You are in process. And, and that's exciting. All that's out there waiting for us to experience, to embrace, to journey with. Uh, incidentally, I want to come back to the trapeze for just a minute. I think the church of God is in a trapeze moment. That's just my opinion. But we've had hold of a trapeze for a pretty long time now. And we're in that thing. And to let go and take hold of whatever it is out here that God has for us is going to require some <gasps> moments. Well, this full but not complete. I, I want to come back to the, to the idea. I really believe with all of my heart that the only way I can live a holy life is to embrace and practice confession throughout my journey of faith. I sometimes fail. I sometimes have an attitude I ought not to have. Does that mean the Holy Spirit has left me? Not at all. It just means he makes me aware. And I confess. And he picks me up and he dusts me off and he sends me on my way again. I really believe that, that in, in, 
in my upbringing anyway, and I confess I'm old, and I experienced, I experienced a, a time in the life of the church that most of you did not experience. But when I was in my early stages of my journey, uh, failure was meant that you were a poor witness. I wish there had been somebody in the early days of my faith journey to help me learn how to harvest my failures. I believe there's incredible wisdom, incredible richness in failure. But, you know, when we're so eager to get it behind us and we, we shove it back here, get it behind us, get on with the journey, we miss all the richness and all the wisdom. I confess to you that in my 90s, if I remember something way, 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 way back that was a failure, that I did not harvest the richness and the wisdom that was inherent in it. Even now I ask God, God, is it too late to teach me the wisdom and the, ris the richness that I missed back there when I failed at that time? I do not believe it is our failures and our weaknesses that hinder the work of the kingdom. I believe it's when we pretend we don't have any. It breaks my heart. It literally wounds me when I see how easy it is for us to live lives of faith that are not transparent and real. I believe in vulnerability. You know Brene Brown's definition of vulnerability? It's showing up and being seen with no guarantee of the outcome. I believe what people are longing to know is that there is a there is a God, there is a Jesus Christ who starts us on this faith journey. There is a Holy Spirit that dwells within us in this faith journey who will take every single thing that comes into our lives and use it as the opportunity to grow. I believe everything that comes into my life, the good, the bad, the wonderful, the horrible, the absolutely wonderful or the devastating, it is absolutely the raw material for growth. But it takes acknowledging and it takes vulnerability. I, I, I'm, I'm lifting up some of these learning experiences. I was one, home, one time for home assignment, I was doing some graduate work in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was a part of the Nashville church. And um, the, this was way back. So, but anyway, in the Sunday school class that I was a part of, the, the lesson that Sunday was on fear. Well, the Sunday school teacher, it was, you know, about Jesus and the disciples in the boat, you know, the storm comes up. Anyway, she said, um, is anybody in this, there were about 25 of us, anybody ever been afraid? Duh. Nobody would say a word. Finally, and back then, uh, it was different. She turned to the resident missionary, and everybody knows what missionaries are like. You know, back then it was just, they put you up on a pedestal, and it's a frightening place to be because you know you're going to fall off. Uh, but anyway, she turned to me and she said, Sister Smith, have you ever been afraid? I said, too many times to count. She said, will you tell us about one? 
Well, the first thing that popped in my head was a flight from Hong Kong to Bangkok in an electrical storm. And that jet was all over the sky and everything that was loose was flying everywhere and everybody had a bag to their mouth except a few of us. And the captain kept coming in and saying, ladies and gentlemen, please remain calm. I realize this is very frightening, blah, blah, blah. I said to Nathan, if he'd shut up, I'd feel so much better. <laughs> if he thinks he's got to reassure me all the time, then absolutely, it's dangerous. We're going down. Well, she assumed something. The Sunday school teacher assumed something. She said, well, I'm sure you prayed. And the first words that came out of my mouth, no, I was too busy resenting Nathan for enjoying it to pray. <laughs> Every time that jet would drop, Nathan would say, boy, that was a good one. Uh, oh. And I was scared. I, I, well, I thought this was it. Anyway, what happened in that Sunday school class, and this is what started me on a journey of, of, of the incredible power of vulnerability. All of a sudden, everybody in this class was talking about their fears. There are three incredible blessings to vulnerability. Number one, you don't have to use all your energy hiding. Number two, you help set other people free to be vulnerable. Number three, it gives witness to a believable faith. Everybody knows you're not perfect. Why do we hide? A young pastor called me. He said, Ann, I'm going to resign. I said, talk to me. What's going on? He was very distraught. He said, we just learned our son's on drugs. So I'm going to resign. I said, why? I said, what do you think would happen if next Sunday you would stand in your pulpit and say to these people, the people in your congregation, we've tried to be there for you in your times of struggle, your times of need. We have done everything we know to be there for you in your struggles. But today we need you to minister to us. We've just learned our son some drugs. And his immediate response, I couldn't do that. I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be an example. We processed over a period of time. I said, you know, if you resign and you leave, you take the problem with you. Nothing's been resolved. Besides that, there are people sitting in your congregation who think the pastor doesn't know what it feels like to struggle, doesn't know what it's like to be wounded, doesn't know what it feels like to be hurt. We hide. We think because we are human beings, we are not being a good witness to the gospel. I tell you, I believe that congregation would have been set free to grow in a way they never could have grown. That pastor was unable to do that. He resigned. And it makes me weep to know that he eventually left the ministry. God is in the business of transforming lives no matter what's going on. And I want us to learn to stop hiding. Just be transparent. Let's be vulnerable about this faith journey. It is a journey. 
it is not about being complete it's about being increasingly shaped into the image of Jesus Christ and he is committed to that journey to your journey to my journey I have to be honest with you I cannot help but well maybe I'll ask you the question instead of telling you what I think what do you think would happen in the church of God if everybody in this person everybody in this room would make a commitment to use the energy that you use hiding for the work of the kingdom what do you think would happen we hide well oops time runs out there is another learning experience that I want to share with you that was a critical and very important one and that's about clutching I married to Nathan in January 1950 we went to Japan in 1950 early part of 1951 we had been married six years we were in Japan we were going to stay a six year in Japan and move to the southern island when we went to the government to require to request permission to move from where we lived west of Tokyo to the southern island we realized that there was a certain kind of paperwork that we didn't even know we were supposed to do and so they said well one of you can go ahead and go to Kyushu but the other one will need to stay behind and write letters of apology and go around to the government offices and apologize so Nathan went to Kyushu and I stayed back to write letters and go around and apologize and um, so the, the journey to Kyushu was about 700 miles from Tokyo and it was it was in January when we were moving it was snow and ice and uh, narrow roads back then it, 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 well and no guardrails it's in the mountains all of this stuff and Nathan took a young student with him because he could not read the, the signs yet and uh, all of the signs and it was it was a long journey it took them 14 to 16 hours a day for five days to drive 700 miles and this young man was with him this young man. after they left I became a basket case literally I was a basket case I was so worried I knew the roads I knew the drop-offs I knew it was ice and storm and snow I knew all of that and I I couldn't eat I couldn't sleep I couldn't do anything I literally was a basket case and God began to deal with me and I became aware this incredible man that I had been married to for six years we had bonded we had bonded we went to Japan we didn't speak the language we were there for six years we'd been there five years or five years already but we'd been married six years but we went there there was no way to communicate with anybody back home except write a letter and it took them a month if they answered the same day there were no emails no faxes no telephone we didn't speak any language we bonded in this incredible way but all of a sudden after six years I realized I was clutching Nathan this man that I loved was the love of my life had taken a place that only God could fill this was a great learning experience for me nothing nobody no relationship nothing nothing in this world I don't care what it is you think you can't live without 
if you think you absolutely cannot live without it, it's taking a place that only God deserves. I went through a horrible experience of getting on my knees and saying to God, God, you know me. You know how I love Nathan. Help me. I felt like I would never tell anybody else what the experience should be like for them, but I felt like I had to pray until I could pray. God, if something happens, please spare the one who can do the most for Japan. That was a great learning experience for me. I'd like to tell you I learned it and had it forever learned. I believe we have to relearn everything we learn. We have to keep, we possess only what we continuously rediscover. What I can tell you is when I took that 24-hour train trip down to Kyushu where Nathan was, our relationship took on a whole new definition. As wonderful as it was, it took on a whole new meaning and a whole new Well, I did want to tell you about my discovery of how I was living with expectations instead of expectancy. Uh, don't clutch. Let me, let me just say this. I can promise you every time you clutch, whether it's things, people, experiences, whether it's your church, whatever it is, if you clutch it, I promise you, you'll lose. About 20 or 25 years ago, I will stop after I tell this one learning experience. About 20 or 25, whenever, I don't know when it started. I'm not year conscious. Whenever it was that worship styles started changing, um, I learned something about I am. Um, I'd go to church every Sunday. Worship styles was changing. I'll be honest with you. I love the organ. I love the choir. I love the I love the hymns that I grew up on. I love all that. And I'd go to church on Sunday, and and it was there was a shift taking place. And um, over a period of time, I I got to the place where I really didn't look forward to going to church on Sunday morning. Well, when I got to that place and I realized that I was not looking forward to going to worship, I began to ask, I began to look inside and ask some questions. And what I discovered was I was going to church with expectations. And when those expectations were not met, I was disappointed. And over a period of time, that disappointment built up. And so I, I was just sort of not getting what I was supposed to get. So I asked myself the question, does that mean God didn't show up? Didn't mean that at all. God showed up, but I couldn't see him. Because I was so focused on my expectation that I missed everything else. And so I made a conscious decision that when I entered the doors of the sanctuary, I would enter with expectancy instead of expectations. And you know what? <laughs> it was wonderful. It 
initially I had to do a little work on me because if, if I was not enjoying a particular song they were singing, it was just totally outside my, my, my experience and my comfort zone. I would look for somebody who was being blessed all over. And I'd just say, oh, thank you, God. They are really being blessed. I'm so thankful they're being blessed. And pretty soon I discovered I could be blessed too. So expectations, I want to tell you, expectations will do damage to your life. We need to live not, with ex- not in relationship to expectations, but we need to live in relationship to life with arms wide open. And whatever comes, because we have God with us, we're going to discover true meaning and true excitement in that. I love the church. I think we're at a, I think I agree wholeheartedly that we are at a transition time. I'd like to be able to live long enough to see what's going to happen. That's not likely. But I believe in it because the church has been so, the church has made it possible. for me to walk this journey. There have always been those people who gave me space to grow. Give people space to grow. And this expectation thing, if you have an expectation of your child, your spouse, somebody in your congregation, whoever it is, if you have an expectation of them and that expect, it's an important expect, and it's not met, you don't see all the good and all the wonderful things that are happening in their lives. You're blinded. Expectations make us blind. I happen to believe there are all kinds of blessings circling. This is what I came to be aware of. I had all kinds of blessings circling over my head, looking for a place to land. But my runway of my life was so crowded with expectations, I couldn't find room. Church of God, there are all kinds of blessings circling over the Church of God, looking for a place to land. The runway of your life is going to determine whether or not they can land. Be open to whatever it is God wants to do through you. Well, my time is up. I do want to share one thing. I hope I can get through reading this without crying. I want to tell you how I feel about this faith journey. Sarah Crows has written a song called he's always been faithful this is my testimony this is what I have found the faith journey to be morning by morning I wake up to find the power and the comfort of God's hand in mine season by season I watch him amazed in awe of the mystery of his perfect ways. All I have needed, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. This next line is so important to me. I can't remember a trial or a pain He did not recycle for my gain. He hasn't wasted anything, friends. I can't remember a trial or a pain he has not recycled for my gain. I can't remember a single regret of serving God only. 
and trusting his hand. All I have need of his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. This is my anthem. This is my song. The theme of the stories I've heard for so long. God has been faithful. He will be again. His loving compassion, it knows no end. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me.